Hey there, welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, hosted by Kelly Stewart, business strategist helping companies to do good in all aspects of their business, and me, Laura Heacock, a leadership coach helping professionals bring kindness into business. Doing Good Business is a podcast for leaders who want to bring their whole selves to work and create companies that make a real difference in the world. Hey, welcome back to Doing Good Business. It's 2019. I can't believe it. Happy New Year, everyone. It is early January, and we're so excited to be back. I hope you had a good holiday break. I hope you got some connection and some downtime and some rest and are feeling super recharged and ready to dive into the year. Absolutely. Yay. So we're going to start off 2019 by talking about leadership. Um, I'm a leadership coach, so that's kind of my jam. Mm -hmm. And uh, as Kelly will tell you, leadership is obviously a super important part of, of doing good business. And there's a lot of different kinds of leadership. So, so why don't we start there, Kelly, Mm -hmm. like with a little bit of evolution of you know, what leadership has looked like. A little business history brought to you by Kelly Stewart. (laughs) No, absolutely. I I think, you know, it's an exciting time for me in my career because I can look back Mm -hmm. over some of these things. And then when I do that, it helps me to understand and hopefully our listeners to understand where we are now Mm -hmm. a little bit better. And, you know, one of the first things is really understanding that leadership present day, Mm -hmm. so let's call that back even to the 1950s, you know, but kind of modern leadership um, has really been a result of this command and control leadership came right off the battleground, right? Ah. Because it was a time when after World War II, and it was really the only leadership program for a lot of people who then had served their country, Mm -hmm. served it well, and now were returning to literally rebuild their country, Mm -hmm. right? So they used the leadership skills that they had perfected Mm -hmm. or used well um, in battle and brought it into business. How do we know this to be true? You might be asking. (laughs) We do things like we we talk about having a target audience. Oh. We talk about marketing and strategy tactics. Oh, my gosh. Okay. There's a vocabulary (laughs) that starts to kind of come through. In fact, um, a few weeks ago, Someone was talking to me about marketing and digital marketing and having to put a tripwire on your website. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, certainly didn't think of it that way. Wow. You know, because today, and anybody who's who's been listening to us and, and understands that we talk about creating real value. Who are the people we can bring the most value to? Mm-hmm. It's very different in my mind from having a target. Yes. Someone I'm going to lock onto and mm-hmm. lasso into mm-hmm. my services. But that's really where a lot of that came to be. And obviously it, it really depended on productivity, right? It mm-hmm. relied yeah. on as it did in the battlefield, it relied on rote and reliable processes that would yield a certain output. So when we're talking about business in the 1950s and 60s, that worked because the rate of change was much slower. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, we were rebuilding roads and we were creating new services. So I was going to say, the world is just, was different than, you know, now we're such, especially in the U.S., you know, we're a very service-based culture at this point. Like we don't make a lot of things in the U.S. today in 2019, but in the 50s and 60s, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, it was the height of automobile manufacturing and we were building roads and bridges and things like that. So it was in China, 
you yeah. know, for our listeners who don't know, we're very close to Trenton, New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. They were like the capital for porcelain. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that had to do with pottery, which was your um, sinks right. and your um, toilets mm-hmm. and tubs. And a lot of that came out of that very rich manufacturing area. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're thankful for it. Yeah. I, and there's actually... I for having a toilet and some indoor plumbing and <laughs> yeah, all, all good there. things like that. Uh, we'd be there. And to your point, there is a bridge when you're crossing into, you know, one of the ways to get into Trenton, New Jersey from our Absolutely. area. It's called the Trenton Makes Bridge. Yep. And it's because there's this huge sign on the bridge that says Trenton Makes and the World, World Takes. Takes. And that just supports that kind of business that was, you know, so prominent in the 50s Absolutely. and 60s was just, we're making things. We are making cars. We are making porcelain. We are making china. Mm-hmm. We are making roads. We're making bridges. Right. And, you know, now things are, are very different, but that is really, it, that military thing, the target audience, I've never even drawn that right. that's so that's really interesting where it comes to me. From. And not unlike a military strategy, mm-hmm. right? It's it's the leadership that pretty much has all the answers. Right? Yeah. You do rely on some ground forces mm-hmm. for some types of information, but it's directional. But the responsibility lies with the person at the top, mm-hmm. right? And so if you think of it as a pyramid, that's the hierarchical mm-hmm. kind of pyramid. And that's what was brought into business and really became managerial leadership Hmm. where it was the people at the top had to have all of the answers and in order to stay at the top and I'm completely generalizing this because (laughs) I did not I do not mean to imply that every managerial leader was like this but many of those people kind of ruled with fear Mm, because it was really a way to um slow down like if you could control the rate of information right Mm. um you could slow down the rate of change Mm -hmm. because really what was most important at that time was keeping that status quo. Right. Again, barriers to entry were much higher. You were not seeing companies just starting up on their own. There was a fairly rigorous, slow process to get into business. So you didn't have competitors and you certainly, you didn't have a lot of competitors starting up quickly. You certainly didn't have a lot of disruption. Right. You could see the disruption coming much Mm -hmm. as if you could envision closing your eyes and looking across the battlefield. And we've all seen those scenes in the movies where you start to see, you see the first wave Mm -hmm. of the soldiers on Mm -hmm. their horses and you see that whole regiment come through. But you are at a comfortable distance where then you can make your plan, Mm -hmm. which is very different from how it is today. So that was kind of like the first leadership that I experienced. Yeah. Um, and again, very hierarchical. Now what happened though was by the 1980s, things were really starting to change. Mm-hmm. And um, this is one of my favorite Kelly observations on leadership, by the way, because we've been talking about like, so now corporate culture is very supportive of teams and everybody needs to work together and be yes. collaborative. And Kelly and I were talking about this offline one day and she shared this theory with me and I loved it so much. So I've actually, I've asked her to bring it to this episode of the podcast because I think, you know, I think you'll love it as much as I do. So well, it's about your team. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so with the team, so by like the 1980s, mid eighties, late eighties, we had globalization mm-hmm. even before the internet came. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard to believe, but <laughs> even before the internet came, we were already starting to do globalization. You already talked about it. We were moving them towards a service-based economy, right? right? So <laughs> what was needed really was the ability to bring people together, mm-hmm. to bring people together from diverse areas, mm-hmm. right? Understand cultures, build community, uh, work together toward a common goal. Be collaborative. Be collaborative. Mm-hmm. Be creative. Mm-hmm. Things that you didn't really hear a lot in this managerial time frame. 
well, who better than women? Mm. Who better than women? And that's why I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Who better than the women who had traditionally, not all, but many stayed home? Mm -hmm. But what were they doing? When just as we think about the managerial leaders who had really come from the battleground, Mm -hmm. not all men, there were were some women, many of the women were coming from the the community leadership. Mm -hmm. They were raising funds for the Mm -hmm. PTA, for the school. They were organizing things within within their community to build mm-hmm. better, safer neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. We had mothers against drunk drivers, right. right? These were women leaders, so let's just call them leaders. Right. These were leaders mm-hmm. who knew how to bring groups of people together, understood their differences, because many of them were mothers. And mm-hmm. if you have more than one child, it becomes really easy to see, right? <laughs> oh, they're all different, yes. right? Yeah. What applies to one does not necessarily apply to the other, and how you communicate that is different. And then how do you get them to work together mm-hmm. so that everybody's rooms are clean so that you can all then later go to the movies together, right? right? So it was a very different perspective that I think really, that's when I started to see more of this kind of team building. That's when I started to see things like, well, obviously better benefits, Mm -hmm. right? Because that was starting to change. Mm -hmm. But this idea of this work-life balance Mm -hmm. by like 1995 into the early 2000s, which was again, the forerunner to what we talk about today, work-life integration, Mm -hmm. right? But we were talking at least about work-life balance. right. And then the internet hit, right? Mm-hmm. And that changed everything. Yeah. So by the mid-2000s, I mean, talk about the rate of change. It yeah. was like nothing we had ever seen before. And um, so now you have citizen journalism, mm-hmm. right? You've got social media. Mm-hmm. I've said it before. I'll say it again. We all operate as a business. We all operate in an informed, connected, and transparent yes. market. Yes. So now what does that look like, right? How do we take the best of what we know because there was some good things in that hierarchical leadership, mm-hmm. right? And pair it with what we know about um, building teams, right. right? Seeking out diverse perspectives mm-hmm. and making that all work. And inclusion. And exactly. Mm-hmm. And now leverage that and apply that to an environment that is changing faster right. than anyone could have imagined in the 1940s when they were returning from World War II, mm-hmm. than anyone could have imagined as a, as a group of women moving into the workforce, mm-hmm. right? So how do we apply all of those things into what we need to do now? And it's all about transformation. Yeah. And I think that now you're seeing people like the people that I think of who are on the forefront of, you know, leadership development and, you know, like culture advising and things like mm-hmm. that. People like Adam Grant. Mm-hmm. People like Brene Brown, yes. people like Simon Sinek, who I've mentioned before, but really taking that look, that forward thinking look that incorporates, yes. okay, we had command and control and now we've got some team stuff and some matrix stuff. And how do we now adapt to leadership in this new economy, which is, you know, you have startups coming up all the time. You mm-hmm. have informed uh, employees, you have an informed yes. culture, you have, you know, a, a global culture, or maybe you have an entirely home shored culture. How do you as an individual leader, actually maintain some sort of transparency and cohesion in your team when your team could be literally spread all around the globe in mm-hmm. in eight different time zones. So you start hearing people, you know, Adam Grant talking about, uh, you know, bringing joy into work and right. Renee Brown talking about vulnerability in leadership and Simon Sinek talking about connecting to your why to keep mm-hmm. people engaged. And like, to me, I think of those things as bringing much more you know, obviously they're all, you know, psychologists, sociologists by, by training. I don't know that Simon Sinek is, but Adam Grant and Brene Brown certainly right. are. But you talk about really bringing that that human perspective in right. to leadership. And, and Kelly, you had something, something earlier about the fear-based leadership of right. that command and control. 
um, I'm a big fan of the work of Dr. Kristen Neff, who studies self-compassion. And I just had this aha moment when I was like, oh, oh, it's the same as in, you know, the, the micro in a person as right. it is in the macro. When you're a person and you only focus on what's wrong with you, you only focus on, um, you know, oh my gosh, I, I, my house is so dirty. I can't have anyone over. Right. You can't see outside of that dirty house and there's, there's no compassion. It's totally fear-based. The fear right. is if someone comes over and my house is this dirty, then they won't like me anymore and I will be alone mm-hmm. and not have this friend. When you go the self-compassion route, you start to think, okay, is it really true? You know, is this person really going to abandon me because my house is so dirty? You know, potentially they will also have compassion for me and it'll all be okay. And the fear-based leadership is the same. You know, when you go to that more compassionate leadership place of, okay, what does my team need? Mm-hmm. How do I show them empathy? How do I show up as myself? You you step out of that place that is unsafe for change. And as you said earlier, mm-hmm. maintains the status quo. Mm-hmm. And you transform your team into a place where it's okay to make mistakes. Right. We're okay to be vulnerable. You create that psychological safety that we've talked about before. And that's where true change comes from. You know, in the personal, it's about having that compassion for yourself and being able to move forward from that foundation. And professionally as a leader, it's about having compassion and empathy first for yourself so that you can also have it for your team and your peers and your own leaders to create that environment that you can transform and you can do, um, you know, you can do much more than maintain the status quo. Absolutely, Laura. And and I think part of that self-compassion is in recognizing we're imperfect humans, right? Mm-hmm. We're imperfect and we are human. Yep. And these two things are okay. The human part, you've described the imperfect part, you know, quite eloquently and, and the need for compassion. Mm-hmm. The human part is these things do not happen overnight. We don't, do not push buttons. Now right. we can rewire our neural networks, yep. right? So just as we have personal habits and mm-hmm. ways of thinking that with practice and time, mm-hmm. right? Practice and time, we can start to shift that thinking. Yeah. Well, if you think of the organization as a person mm-hmm. with an ego yeah. and a habit, mm-hmm. right? It's the same type of thing. These, I love these that things analogy. don't really yeah. happen overnight, but the organization can reprogram mm-hmm. its neural network, which Over are constantly time. forming and unforming and reforming, mm-hmm. right? And so you bring in some of this really awesome advice that's out there mm-hmm. and guidance from the people that you've mentioned, from many others, people who are in the field. Um, Jeff Weiner, he's the CEO at LinkedIn. He, mm-hmm. he has a lot of these different types of mindsets that mm-hmm. he's bringing into the organization. And then over time, it evolves to that. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, the argument could be made we have to evolve a little bit faster because things are changing, but that's all the more reason to kind of slow down our thinking, mm-hmm. right? Because we have a lot of things, and we talked about this in one of our other episodes, you know, like cyber ethics. Yeah. There's a lot going on that really does require us to say, ooh, time Mm -hmm. we need as humans to think about this and decide where we want Mm -hmm. to go Um, but I think that that's a big part of it is just taking the time to let these things evolve and work at them and Mm -hmm. practice them that's Mm -hmm. what you and I talk about what do you practice right what do you you put in place then Mm -hmm. it's it's awesome to have the awareness but then what do you put in place to change it because when you think about command and control and you go back to it I would guess although I was not a business leader at that time, and I just want everyone to understand that in the 1950s, but um, wasn't even here. But, uh, you know, you have to imagine that what they were bringing with them that may have inspired this notion of fear was that literally people's lives were in their hands. Right, 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 exactly. Fortunately, many businesses don't have that. You know, like that's not to say that 
careers and self-development. Yes, that's all part of an mm-hmm. organization. But not many of us actually have a patient with the chest open. Exactly. It's a matter of yeah. life and death in this moment. Mm-hmm. Most of us do have the luxury of taking a step back. Yeah. And that was one of the things. So in an individual leader perspective, there's two things that you said were really interesting. And one of the things that I used to say to my team was um, in the recruiting world, I said, nobody's going to die if you take that day off. Like we are not surgeons. We are not medical professionals because it is, you know, especially in that like sales heavy commission environment, it's very easy to get into that 24 seven mindset of like, I can't even take a day off or I'm going to lose this money. And I used to always make sure that they would take their days off because you are not, nothing is at stake here. Like you are not, this is not a life and death decision. You need to take your day off. You need to recharge because we don't make good decisions when we are constantly going quickly, quickly, quickly. You make, when we don't slow down and we don't take that pause, Mm -hmm. even if it's just a breath, we're reacting from that stress-based place, Mm -hmm. that fight, flight, freeze place. Mm -hmm. And we're often making bad decisions. Those are the times when you decide to say something to your team like, well, because I'm the boss, damn it, you have to do it. (laughs) Or that's the time when you fire off the email that is, you know, wildly inappropriate instead of taking a breath and composing yourself. Or those are the times when, you know, you cancel your employees one-on-ones because you're just quote unquote too busy and the most important thing gets sacrificed because it feels like the least important. So taking that breath and taking that pause allows you to maintain your leadership presence, Mm -hmm. which is what allows you to put the good habits into place. You know, this is the work that I do with my clients. Like we're going to start learning good habits to Kelly's point. It takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes practice. Mm -hmm. And it also takes that moment or two to catch yourself when you're just about to fall back into the old habit. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're starting to go back into that command and control place on a larger sense and bring yourself back into, okay, no, I want to get more into that transformational place. I want to be mm-hmm. a vulnerable leader. I want to, you know, practice being authentic mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So taking that momentary pause is going to be extremely beneficial. And it is one of the hardest things that we can all teach ourselves to do. I, I agree. And I think, you know, part of the, the call toward transformational leadership is understanding about reversing the pyramid Mm, you know you and I talked briefly um a a while ago about the matrix organization right there are other styles of organization right Mm -hmm. and so yay right we always like it when people try new things yep and I'm sure there are organizations who have made that matrix organization work out really well Mm -hmm. um but by and large I think there's a greater opportunity they created a lot of confusion agreed you didn't know who you were reporting to. It was hard right. to get resources. So you got to ask three people if you can have a day off. It's kind of challenging. Exactly. Yeah. And again, you know, my my kudos, my heart goes out to the leaders who mm-hmm. try, right? At I least can you're see doing the thought something. And I'm it. not condemning it mm-hmm. completely. I'm like, yeah, maybe trying something different. Mm-hmm. But I think whether it's through Matrix or any of the other types of leadership styles out there, I think the imperative is really to kind of flip the pyramid because you now more than ever really need those frontline impressions mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. insights and knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. You need the mid-level management, right? Those are all of the things that when they work together, undeniably, the leader is still responsible for the sure. decision. Sure. And it's not going to change. Right. And that is why they get paid the big mm-hmm. bucks. Mm-hmm. And not everybody can can do that job. So right. again, my hat's off to people who stand up and say, I will take responsibility for yes. this position yes. and for the decisions that have to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, but those decisions will be better now when more of those perspectives are brought in. Mm-hmm. I think the other shoe to that is... Um, is that even a good analogy? The other shoe to that? Sure. I mean, on the other foot, On the other on hand. The other hand <laughs> whatever. Use the analogy that's most comfortable for you. Um, but I think it's helping 
employees understand what's expected of them, right? Mm -hmm. So um, there's a positive business practice. We'll probably talk about it if we haven't already. Open book management, Mm -hmm. right? Where company leaders share all of the finances, Mm -hmm. right? Well, it's not just enough to share that. You have to also educate people and Mm -hmm. let them know this is the number that you're looking at. This is why it's important, not only, you know, from an accounting standpoint, but to our organization. And this is how you can impact it, Mm -hmm. right? Put some context around it. Thank you, Laura. That's a much more succinct way of saying it. (laughs) And so, but that's what this is about. If if you are looking for those opinions from Mm -hmm. people, this is not something that you just like kind of blink your eyes and magically you wake up one morning as a transformational leader and say, today I am a transformational leader Mm -hmm. and I am going to go in and people are just going to give me all this great insight Mm -hmm. and I'm going to ask the right questions. Well, if they don't know why you're looking for the information that you're looking Mm -hmm. for, then it's going to be harder for them to give you actionable Mm -hmm. information. Um, And if you don't have a relationship with them, Mm -hmm. it's going to be harder for them to feel comfortable if if this has not been the norm in your organization. And all of a sudden I'm just, hey, Laura question for you. Yeah. I know you've been working on this for a while. I was wondering if you could tell, you know, they're going to be like, wait, what? You know, because that person's never been asked that before. Right. So they'll need a little bit of coaching and a little bit of understanding on why is this going on? Mm-hmm. But um, I think that when that happens, when people know what they're supposed to be looking for, they have a channel for reporting it in. Yeah. And then there's going to, um, this is really important. And then the business leader does something with mm-hmm. it because I've been in that place before where, you know, you make the, the call goes out. We need to blank, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the blank here. Mm-hmm. And I'm the first person up there lots of times with the suggestions. With the and then you never hear anything else. Yeah. So what happened to that? Yeah. The suggestion box. Oh, oh I know. I days, do. Right? They were fun. We had, I had an office in the 90s where there was a literal suggestion, suggestion box. box. Yes. And I also had a manager and you were saying, you know, to, to explain why something needs to be done and. Right. You know, for those of you familiar with the term managing up, right. I had a manager at one point and I felt like I was definitely, I was a little bit of a role reversal there because it would right. just be this blanket statement, Laura, I need you too. And it was, you know, put a deck together, put a blah, blah, blah. Right. But I need to know why, like, first of all, who's my audience? Right. Second of all, what is the purpose of this exercise? Because if you can't tell me your why behind mm-hmm. why this is done, I can't give you the content that you need. So for those right. of you individual leaders out there, you know, even if it's just something small, you know, rote and, and routine assignments aside, but if you're asking right. somebody to do a stretch assignment or to take something on or to create really part be of creative, right? Like, Give me anything. something you've never thought of before. Exactly. Right? You know, go do this for that person. But right. okay, so what what is our end goal? Like you've got to loop the people and I think that's so often a mistake that I see in particular new leaders making. They don't explain what it is that they need or right. why they need it or what is the bigger picture. Like they they're kind of sort of starting to do and embrace um, you know, uh, delegating. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, Susie, you do this, Sally, you do this, Bobby, you do this, mm-hmm. Joey, you do that. Well, none of those people understands that there is a bigger picture that they have a part of. Right. They don't understand what the end goal is and it's it's incomplete and it's just a skill, again, a skill to be learned. Yep. But for any new leaders out there, you know, start explaining a little bit, you know, take the extra 30 to 60 seconds and explain, okay. We're doing this presentation. This is going to be a part of a sales pitch for a new prospect. And your right. piece of it is this. These other three people are also doing a piece. So, you know, maybe even go meet with them and come up with your four separate pieces together, encouraging Absolutely. that team-based leadership, but giving them just that additional 
minute or so of context is going to dramatically increase the results that you get, first of all. Right. Second of all, the safety for them to be able to, you know, feel like they're a part of something and they're doing something that matters and mm-hmm. really buy into that bigger business purpose as opposed to just being told what to do and given the deadline and that's the well, end of it. That doesn't create the ability to ask questions or I, foster creativity. I agree. And and my husband has a, a saying, it might not only be his, but I, <laughs> I, I find that it's it's really helpful. As a leader, right, you know, you can, um, as an employee, you can tell me what to do or how to do it, Mm -hmm. but don't tell me both, right? So if you're looking for creativity, if you're looking for Mm -hmm. ideas, you don't want to micromanage that to the point where you've you've given, you've sucked the life out of it. (laughs) Right, exactly. But you still want to give them all those parameters that you've discussed. And it could be that you're just looking for kind of anecdotal insights mm-hmm. from someone because you're formulating some strategy as a leader and it's just helpful for you to know that it doesn't even have to be formal it can yeah. be very informal and the other word you touched on is the, the loop so it you know get this information from people well you're not going to be able to implement every idea right. for everyone sure. all the time, but let them know mm-hmm. you heard them yes in whatever yes. way it is let them know you heard them mm-hmm. and say hey I liked that kind of thinking, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't exactly what I needed for this, or it, it was, but I went with something else that was, you know, mm-hmm. we've all watched Shark Tank, right? right. Or, or right. we've watched Chopped, where they're mm-hmm. splitting it down. You know, like, it doesn't have to be, you know, you were just a, a very distant second. Right. Be, you were very close. And I want to hear more about that idea, mm-hmm. you know, but you'll find a way to channel those things, but if, if or show them. Hey, I, I I got your insights and I put together a presentation deck and good news, we're we're winning a new client. Right. right? We're onboarding right. a new client or right. we, we have a new supplier or look at that, we've just thought about a new market. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And should there be compensation for that? Probably a topic for another episode. Another episode, but. indeed. But even still, you know, like, okay, hey, your idea was great. It's actually more of a, a fit for, you know, for Dean's team over there. Right. So I shared it with Dean and let me connect you. Right. I'm going to connect you with him. You know, you can reward mm-hmm. people with, um, you know, with a network or, or with mm-hmm. a, you know, sort of some street cred and getting them more visibility within the organization. Like, yes, compensation is nice. And at the end of the day, I we all want money, but why not reward people right. with more exposure and more exactly. visibility within There's your organization? There's a lot of ways to exactly. do it. Yep. And you're absolutely right. Compensation is only about one. And many times it's not the end all be all. Exactly. That the leaders think that it is. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, lots of food for thought. Lots of food for thought. Healthy so, food in the beginning of exactly. the year. Exactly. Healthy thoughts, healthy business. Healthy business. Yes, exactly. So thank you all for uh, coming back. We hope that your 2019 has started off super awesome. And we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier this episode, but next week we hope you'll come back and join us for an episode that really dives into one of those business terms that Kelly and I love to roll our eyes at. Yeah. Authenticity. How does it relate to leadership? What does it even mean? We are going to dig in and dissect it. We've got lots of amazing guests in store for this year, uh, 2018, doing good business podcast. So stick with us. Keep coming back. Uh, We come back every Mondays. And uh, thanks for being here. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And we would love to hear from you. Send your comments, your questions, suggested topics to podcast at doinggoodbusiness.com. If you'd like, visit our website of the same name, doinggoodbusiness.com. Remember, you can always rate and review us wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Feel free to share it. Until next time, we encourage you to take one small step toward doing good business.